Warning! This show contains adult themes and language, including many believing that millions deserved to be drowned to death. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it. This episode was released on October 13th, 2021, and we are discussing disevidentia because it is clear millions of biblical literalists are suffering from it. I am Squeaky. And I am Mako. We discuss logic and evidence because we understand buoyancy at a third grade level. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash disevidentia. If you built a one-to-one scale model of the Ark, it sank, and you are waiting for the flood insurance payout and are tight on money right now, you can still like, subscribe, and leave a review to help us out. If you have a paper you have written or a small business to plug, let us know. Today we're going to discuss COVID for just a minute and why the biblical flood didn't happen. But first, I'm going on a rant. He went with third grade. (laughs) They actually teach it. I have a fucking source. Fine. My SO had a financial thing with her family. They wanted to transfer some payment for her thing from them to me. Fine. I pay for all kinds of stuff anyway. One more isn't a big deal. The problem popped up when they wanted to meet in person to share paperwork. These people are anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers and in general a hazard to themselves and others. I am an asshole, so I gleefully insist that they be vaccinated or mail it. They are careless and won't care about COVID until it kills someone they know. And it won't be anyone I know if I can help it. My SO caves to her family's demands often, because they are bigger assholes than me, and she wants to make everyone happy. She was willing to meet them in person until I reminded her that the last time they met, they promised social distancing and hugged her against her will anyway. They promise all kinds of stuff, and then never live up to the promises. No reason to believe them this time. She was texting and arguing with them. It's her time. She can do what she wants with it. But she kept coming to me to seek approval on compromises. She would ask, and I would point out the blunt reality of dealing with her family. What if they promised a social distance? Well, that didn't work last time. What if we just meet at the place where we turn in the paperwork? That happened last time, and they lied to you. What if we time it to reduce exposure? Why would we have any reason to expect them to abide by any rules? These people are already insisting on not vaccinating and insisting on not wearing masks like whiny children. They're absolutely not willing to compromise and are unwilling to even entertain the idea of wearing masks. They only have power to negotiate because my SO gave them power. She did this by entertaining compromise with them. They are already using all of the power they have to choose harmful and terrible things. If they give COVID to me or my SO, which can happen despite us being vaccinated, either of us might give it to my medically frail grandmother. We would almost certainly be fine, and she would not. They are choosing to be whiny little bitches and put my family at risk for their perceived convenience, which is illogical nonsense and has no basis in evidence. Why should we compromise with people who are acting to harm us? People who are entirely unwilling to compromise. We even gave them the option to mail it if they really don't want to vaccinate. This argue was bothering me and my SO. She wanted to make everybody happy, but I wasn't going to be happy with needless risk to my family and her family without exposing us to needless risk. She was freaking out. I was getting fed up. So after a few hours, I did something wildly inappropriate. I called my SO's mother on the phone and I asked her name to make sure I got the right person. She confirmed it was her. 
Then I said, Get vaccinated, you whiny little bitch, and she promptly hung up. After some brief insults over text from their family, saying that my SO needed to leash her dog, and similar useless drivel, they caved and agreed to mail the paperwork. Hours of arguing terminated swiftly by making it clear there would be no compromise. Sometime later, her brother threatened me with a gun via a text message to her. Coward. He has my phone number. He could call or text me, but did neither. Like the lot of them, they want to talk to someone they think they can control. This has been reported to the police, but I'm sure nothing will come of it because he is a flabby coward. Sure, I was an asshole, and there might have been some more diplomatic solution. But at the same time, we can't tolerate or compromise with people who are willfully wrong. They have seen all the evidence as anyone else has. We shouldn't compromise when the evidence is this clear. And in this case, when it was clear to the anti-vaxxers that their stance was in the way, they gave up. These people are even welcome back in my house once they show proof of vaccination. And I get a written apology about the death threat. Hey, that came across clean. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel any mouth noises. I'm sure I said plenty. Yeah, probably, maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. Remember last episode, how we were celebrating that we didn't fuck anything up in episode 16? And I corrected you saying that we were aware of. Oh, I believed you. Later on that day, one of our listeners, uh, an HVAC expert, contacted us to let us know one such place where we fucked up. Oh. Yeah. I'll be sure to invite them over to the Discord, and we'll see if we can get them tagged as an HVAC expert in case we have any more specific questions. But I kind of offhandedly said that we should be checking our HVAC systems and trying to upgrade to, you know, filter out stuff. Mm -hmm. So normal HVAC filters per this person and per reading and per the EPA, I've got a source. So link in the show notes just doesn't work like that like i kind of knew that it wouldn't stop viruses entirely but apparently it's often just not worth it at all and even the epa says only to do it after to upgrade to those filters after you've done every other safety precaution like social distancing masks and vaccinating mm -hmm. and then let me see i've got some specific details here uh, if anyone's trying to sell you a bipolar ionizing filter that's pretty much just bullshit. Just skip that. There's no evidence supporting it yet. They might even, like, make harmful shit like ozone. There's a bunch of people selling UV lights that you stick in your vents to, like, clean the air. If you look at how hospitals do it, they have machines that make UV light and they leave it in the room for, like, a long-ass time. And that works yeah, because you, you expose the virus for a long-ass time. Yeah, UV lights, as far as I know, are also used to uh, treat municipal water supplies. Totally. I, I mean, I don't know firsthand, but that makes sense. But you have to shine the light at it for a while. You can't just stick the light in a vent and then blow the light past the bulb and expect it to actually kill the stuff. Which doesn't instantly vaporize. Yeah. It's got to be slowly cooked. Bet we could crank that up. I bet if the UV light were so intense it were melting your vent, it would kill the germs. You are probably correct, but you have other problems. Not for long. <laughs> also technically correct. <laughs> uh, per this HVAC expert, if you do get the filters that can stop the viruses... Uh, so you can get filters that are good enough to just stop viruses, or you can get the ones that'll just catch the water droplets, but either way, they clog much faster, and the clogged filter isn't doing any good for you, so you have to change your filters very often. And also, how good is the ventilation in the area? You have to ask, how often does your HVAC system recirculate the air in, in the room? Mm -hmm. So if, if it only changes out the air once every half hour, you're not really doing a lot because the virus doesn't last very long outside your body anyway. 
So there's, he just points out that it's not the right way to attack the virus. If you've already done everything else and have a ton of surplus money and lots of willingness to change filters, great. Otherwise, it can get you that extra 5% boost on top of everything else. Yeah. If that. One environment he said in theory work really well was airplanes because they're constantly recirculating the air and it's a closed environment. The last time I was actually on uh, an airplane, they said they recirculate the entire cabin air every two minutes. Yeah. See, that would really be good. Corrections from last episode. So I stumbled across another science podcast, the Unbiased Science Podcast, and they actually had an episode about baricitinib, which we didn't know how to pronounce last episode. Mm. So the pairing that our guest, and if you haven't listened to that interview, it's emotionally harrowing. Go listen to it in episode 17. And uh, he describes that his grandmother was put on baricitinib combined with some kind of steroid. And apparently that whole idea of combining uncommonly used drugs together was assembled by some machine learning experts and they wrote some AIs that just tried to simulate and guess what drugs would be good to to mix and match and then they gave their proposals to scientists who tested it and we're still not sure why but baricitinib does combine with the medicines he described and it does take the edge off it's you know it's not going to save you 100% of the time but if you had a 70% chance of making it this might move you up to a 75% chance of making it so statistically measurable we're not sure why but it's empiric and real neat oh <laughs> you didn't say fucking ai oh yeah, yeah yeah because we don't know why it works but we have like this pile of mathematical formulas the ai knows how it works but it's a big pile of linear algebra that if we want to go in what we're doing is we're reverse engineering how this thing knows what it knows so fucking ai it's a black fucking box nobody knows what's inside not even the people who wrote it it knows what it's doing does it though i mean it gets the right answers I mean, sometimes you get the right answers and you don't know what you're doing. Hmm. Well, it's a counterpoint. This episode will be recorded correctly. <laughs> uh-huh. What's this button do? Didn't fuck up the episode. Yet. Uh, wait, did it? Oh, God. We have to re-record. No. All right, the last thing we got wrong. Uh, we said that there were 400 people in Trump's audience. That was just wrong. Apparently the, only 100 the, to 200? Yeah. The D.C. rally was way smaller. Some news outlets were, were saying that there were more police, and there were. There were also more reporters there than Trump supporters. <laughs> the Trump supporters made up less than a third of the crowd because they were outnumbered by police or reporters on their own. That's embarrassing. Yeah. Now, we can't take that to mean that Trump supporters aren't dangerous, just that they didn't show up to raid the Capitol again. That's fortunate. There are still tons of Trump loyalists trying to do things like, I don't want to say rig elections, but to try to influence elections by changing how boundaries are drawn, by putting loyalists in positions where they could potentially fuck with elections in the future. There's still a threat to democracy, but they don't know how to make a rally in D.C. anymore. And maybe their experts can explain to you. (laughs) (laughs) It's too ridiculous. You can't say it. What's going on in COVID? Uh, a few things. COVID news is slowing down a little bit, but I mean, we're still in a pandemic, so there's always going to be something. There's always people spreading misinformation about it. Yep. I guess I'll bring up the nursing shortage. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of reports of nurses quitting. Now, the common story about people quitting that I've seen the past two weeks has been over the vaccine mandates. Yeah. 
allegedly a bunch of the healthcare workers are upset and really that's that doesn't seem to be the case i mean there's a number of them but yeah every single source i've seen shows that every place firing people is firing less than half percent of their workforce and like fuck those people they should have got vaccinated yeah i'm talking about a real issue people aren't talking enough about nurses being stressed because of how ridiculously difficult it is to be a healthcare worker during the pandemic Yep. Yeah. There are hospitals saying that they have a, quote, chronic nurse short staffing. Tons of testimonials about people quitting, tons of depression, tons of people contemplating suicide. It's actually horrible, and it actually is getting people killed. Yeah, the, this actually was something that was brought up and then not talked about nearly enough and then kind of disappeared from the discourse around this time last year, actually, uh, for the for Alpha spiking for the holidays and Delta being here in force, it kind of makes sense that history would repeat itself a bit. I can't imagine what it's like to be one of the healthcare workers in either Alaska or Idaho right now. Are you familiar? Mm-mm. Both states have gone to what they're calling emergency standards of care, where they are prioritizing based on whether or not people can survive instead of providing adequate health care for everyone. The hospital systems throughout all of southern Alaska, so not the rural parts way up north, and all of Idaho are totally swamped. That's alarming. I just can't imagine working there and seeing someone come in with, like, a heart attack and saying, yeah, I could help you, or I could give out, you know, doses of steroids to a bunch of these people who are just having a little trouble breathing on COVID. Sorry, heart attack victim, you're done. We just don't have time for you. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the kind of shit that's going on and has been for a while up there. Yeah, when you have finite healthcare resources and you have a bunch of people who, I don't want to say deliberately, but who are making decisions that force those resources to be stretched thin, you have to start talking about rationing. Well, their choice to not take the very basic step of getting vaccinated is the problem. Yeah. I mean, Idaho has one of the worst vaccination rates in the country, so they're going to get it worse. And then Washington, which has an average, I think, but they have a better than Idaho vaccination rate, they're suffering. There's a ton of overflow from Coeur d'Alene, a small city in Idaho that's near Spokane, a small city in Washington, where people are going from Idaho to Washington, and it's like a 60 or 70 mile drive, to get into a hospital so they can like realistically get medicine and get treatment and not and not push out people who can't be moved, like heart attack victims. It's ridiculous. I don't know, maybe I'm following this one because I used to live in Spokane. It is an alarming thing. Yeah. And uh, hopefully it doesn't happen to too many more locations in the United States, but I don't know, some states seem to want that kind of thing. Well, if everyone who can get vaccinated just would, we wouldn't have this problem. That by itself is enough. Yeah, not at all. (sighs) I'm kind of astounded that we here in... Omaha aren't in some sort of emergency standard of care. Didn't we have a horrible rate? Oh, yeah. We've had, I don't know what the current numbers are, but uh, every now and again in the Omaha subreddit, we will have healthcare professionals post their numbers for the hospital system here. And we've had uh, a few like alarming rises in bed occupancy, but we've we've gotten really close to being maxed out, but we've never actually been maxed out yet. Because every single time the the healthcare workforce and we do healthcare is a big industry here, they will be tell everybody, hey, stop doing the stupid thing. You might be the person to die if you like keep doing this. And every time healthcare professionals have like really aggressively stressed that, our population seems to respond. Well that's nice. So I'm really glad we do have a fairly robust 
set of hospitals and healthcare things here in Omaha. I mean, we have, so we have some of those level four containment centers. We brought a few people with Ebola here a few years ago, didn't we? Yes. During the, uh, the uh, Doctors Without Borders trying to handle the Ebola outbreak in Africa, uh, we did fly a few of those people into our containment facility. Yes. Let's take Ebola straight to the center of the country. If it works, it works. It and did work. Nobody got it. it. Yeah. And those, the people that were put into that care facility recovered. Yeah. Didn't they do something like with an antibody treatment here? Some really weird thing? Yeah. I, I don't remember the details, but they did something special for it. Okay. Uh, what else about special treatments? Uh, you've got a source here. Oh, uh, I cited a source for the Inquirer, and we'll get some sources with the actual numbers for Idaho. And But we have a source here from CNBC describing what Mako's got. So Merck recently announced that their COVID-19 pill is going on to uh, another stage of its development and maybe market ready soon. This pill is an antiviral. Kind of similar to, uh, was it remdesivir? Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, remdesivir. Okay. It's an antiviral, similar to remdesivir. But remdesivir kind of accidentally kind of works as a treatment for COVID-19. Yeah, it was used for other viruses, and we just tested it because it was a general purpose and antiviral. Yeah. But this one, uh, they're naming molnupiravir. Molnupiravir. That sounds like Thor's hammer for smashing viruses. A little bit, I suppose it does. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, it is a targeted drug engineered to work against COVID-19. And it being a, a pill that is an antiviral, it can be taken after the infection begins to help treat a bunch of symptoms. And uh, early data says that it decreases the risk of hospitalization or death in adults with mild or moderate cases by 50%. So, wow. Yeah. The vaccine is still more effective for preventing these things, of course. But for people who are unvaccinated or people who are having cases of COVID-19 despite the vaccination, this can go a long way to help save their lives. I have to imagine that someone who's who has a breakthrough case of COVID and then gets this, they're going to be in a really good place compared to an unvaccinated person who doesn't have access to this. Definitely. Okay. Molnupiravir. <laughs> Sorry, just as goofy. Yeah. All right, and then uh, we got some details wrong describing booster shots, and we were just sloppy with our terminology. Um, Sean, the same person we interviewed for the ethics episode, episode 10, he's a cognitive psychologist, and he just happened to be up on the terminology here, so he corrected us. But he's saying that, quote, booster shots for Pfizer were recently recommended for people 65 years or older, people who are 18 or older and have underlying medical conditions, people who are 18 or older who work in high-risk settings, or people who are 18 or older and live in high-risk settings. And that pretty much can cover anyone who was vaccinated with the Pfizer shot uh, six months ago and, uh, like, functions in society. If you have the ability to lock yourself in a basement, it doesn't really cover you, but pretty much anybody else. If you work in healthcare, if you work in... Uh, any publicly exposed setting where you just see lots of people. And there's a list even that the CDC has up. It's like they specifically call out grocery store workers as high risk, people in the postal service, people in education staff. So anybody who might actually get COVID, they're available. Uh, they are eligible. That's the word. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're eligible to get the, uh, the booster shot. And then additional doses meaning a third shot uh, for both Pfizer and Moderna is recommended for people who meet certain criteria, specifically being immunocompromised, so like cancer survivors and stuff like that. Yep. So I guess the difference between a booster shot and an additional dose is 
still a little bit lost on me. I mean, they're both ways to increase your chances and, and maximize the efficacy of vaccination, but there is a, a distinction based on who gets onto what list and what can happen and whether or not the dose is a duplicate of the second and first shot or if it's something slightly different. So there are details and definitely speak to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from Nothing official has come down as far as I understand, but uh, the Johnson & Johnson boosters are not too far behind. That's good. That'll hit the staff of this podcast. Yeah. Did we all get the J&J? Uh, no, one of us got the Pfizer, okay. but everyone else got the J&J. I wish we could all, like, as a society, like, be making fun of each other for which vaccine we got rather than talking about people dying. Yeah. Ugh, I still want to trash talk those Pfizer people. <laughs> I mean, you still can. No, I can't. There's people freaking dying from not being vaccinated. <laughs> ah, whatever. Uh, when Sean Toppy sent in this correction, he gave us a ton uh, of links and resources. I'll be sure to include them. A lot of it is information from the CDC and FDA, and it really does explain the difference between an, an additional dose and a booster shot and who's eligible for what and when. So I'll make sure that all that's available in the show notes. Good information. Hey, Mako, check out the simulation I made. What the fuck? Why did you throw your computer into the bath? Two reasons. It, it, two? It, it has one of the artificial stupidities that escaped. No, 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 no. That was taken care of, and it was left in your care. I, okay, I think I see the problem now. This was the last one that wasn't contained. The, whoa, whoa, there were others? The other one outsmarted me and locked itself in my bedroom. Uh, I'm gonna have to old yeller it, aren't I? But I suppose the flood simulation explains all the G.I. Joe figures and rubber ducks. And the little boat. See? No way an ark could have survived. Yes, Squeaky. Noah's ark couldn't have survived God dropping a giant gaming computer hundreds of times its mass onto it. Oh, I need to get a new one, won't I? You better contact ABK Customs again. Getting new computers can be expensive. I'm glad we can use code evidence for 10% off. Uh, and maybe their experts can explain to you to not throw your computer into a bathtub. The experts at abk-kustomz.com are pretty sharp. I'm glad they're there to help with every computer sold. Couldn't you have just written some flood simulation software? Yeah, but this seemed easier, and the software wouldn't have had the rubber ducks. <laughs> Hope you're happy. Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> Fine. So, everyone came here to get wet. Wow. Yeah, kind of. I mean, every time people listen to your voice. That's what I have been hearing. <laughs> uh, this is technically a workplace if, if, if we actually get any Patreon supporters. Wait, so if we get Patreon supporters, you can sue me for sexual harassment. I suppose I technically could. You heard it, guys. Go to patreon.com slash Yeah, make us get paid enough so Mako can sue me. Yes. <laughs> uh, more seriously, we're, we wanted to discuss and approach this whole biblical flood thing yep. from two angles. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe we should discuss why. We've both had recent encounters with flood believers. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go over three things. We're going to discuss why we're discussing this. Then we're going to go over some of the history. Then we're going to discuss some of the contradictions with science and common rebuttals that yeah. apologists make. We landed on this topic because we both have had recent interactions with people that have tried to tell us to some extent or another that the biblical flood happened or there was some evidence of a global flood, which 
is just uh, bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's just, not accurate. It's just patently wrong. And not only is there no evidence for it, right, there isn't even good evidence for like regional floods. And unlike most religious things where you kind of have to be an expert to refute this, there are like 15 different ways to refute this that are trivially easy so any sixth grader should be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> most of the people that are going to be listening to this are going to be familiar with specifically Noah's Ark and the book of Genesis and that whole tale of the worldwide flood that God created a global flood in order to wash away all the impurities of humanity because we have sinned too much and then created rainbows as a sign of the pact to never do this again. (laughs) Uh, I I wish I could say anything half that funny. Okay. Uh, No, it's just the different groups of Christianity take so many different takes on this. Some of them say it's an allegory. Some of them say it was a local flood. Some of them actually teach children that literal bullshit you just said in school. Like, it's serious and true. Well, that (sighs) particular line is something I do remember from when I was younger. Uh, But on top of that, it, it was something that I read while researching this. So, yeah, Great. regrettably, that, that is a real thing. That is taught. If that is surprising to anyone that's listening, I, I assure you it, it is. To all of you Europeans who are listening, all 18% of our podcast listeners, we're not kidding, right? I had heard that one growing up. I wasn't taught that one as the or literal truth. But I had classmates in my elementary school that had been taught rainbows were part of the pact with, with God where he wouldn't, they were proof that he wouldn't flood the world. Uh, sorry, the the people we'd met. Yeah. You interacted with someone? Yeah, they they didn't really get too in detail with it because they are they're, they're someone I'm a little bit more comfortable being blunt with. So when they started saying, oh, yeah, there's evidence of a global flood, I just pretty much immediately shut that down. I'm like, no, you're wrong. That just, no. <laughs> I mean, there is some evidence to support regional floods, and we'll cover those in a little bit, but they're not rock-solid evidence. I just ran into people on social media. Somehow I got people, I think, on Twitter and LinkedIn yelling at me at the same time about it. So I don't know. You go deep enough on the internet, you can find people who believe anything is true. Yeah. Regrettably. On to the history. So, a lot of people who believe these things believe that the Bible is the first account of the global flood. And uh, archaeology has some words about that particular assertion. Near as we can tell, the book of Genesis that contains the flood, uh, the global flood story, that was written sometime around 6th century BC. So like 2,600 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Roughly. Uh, So it was around there. And there were, there's a lot of similarities uh, between it and a portion of the Epic of Gilgamesh to the point where a lot of archaeologists believe that the Epic of Gilgamesh is directly inspired Uh, the Noah's Ark story in the book of Genesis. And that was estimated to have been written around 700 BC. So 2,700 years ago or about 100 years earlier. Yeah. Okay. And then much earlier than that, the Epic of Gilgamesh appears to have been based on the... This is another one of those things. I'm the probably, Atrahasis? I was actually going to try to pronounce the first word before that. Oh. The Akkadian Atrahasis? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, sure. We'll go with that. Uh, every time I've heard someone say Akkadian, it's Akkadian. Okay. I mean, maybe they're all wrong. I don't know. I'm bad well, at pronunciations. <laughs> what I'll do is, is I'll modulate your voice so that way you come across mispronounced no matter how correctly you get it. Oh, well, how thoughtful of you. You're welcome. Fuck you. 
So anyway, yeah, the Akkadian Atrahasis has a number of other similarities for uh, that's in the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Noah's Ark story. That one is dated roughly 1800 BC. So 3,800 years ago. Yeah. Okay. And there's details in the Epic of Gilgamesh and in the Atrahasis uh, that both seem to come from the Sumerian creation myth. And this is where kind of like the dates that I was able to find are a little bit confusing because it says that is dated at 1600 BC, which is after the Atrahasis. But I'm, I'm assuming that that's just the the general dating of the tablets that these stories were found on. Okay. But yeah, the, the dating of the tablets that these things were found on is probably what's being referenced by the materials that I found that describe these things and rather than the actual origin of the stories themselves. So it's the difference between a copyright date in a book and the day the story was first written. Like Disney's Cinderella is going to be copyright 20th century, but the Cinderella story might be like Grim Fairy's Tale 1800 or something. Something like that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So the tablet might be newer, but recounting an older story. It, based on uh, the details that are covered and the the parts of the story that are expressed, how they are expressed, and just the the style of the writing. Yeah, it, it definitely seems that the Atrahasis and the Epic of Gilgamesh both were inspired directly by the Sumerian creation myth. And the Epic of Gilgamesh also borrowed a little bit from the Atrahasis, but the Book of Genesis largely borrowed from the Epic of Gilgamesh. So we have this chain of here's where the flood stories came from, and only one step in that chain, the newest step in that chain, is Christians. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear, though, this is just creating a, a chain of uh, likely inspirations. But if we're talking about the number of mythologies out there that contain flood myths, it's actually most major religions. There is a flood myth in almost all of them. It's almost like people set up societies near bodies of water, and it's almost as if farmland that floods on occasion is more likely to produce good crops. Yes, there is this <laughs> exposure to water, but that's not quite the same as, like, devastating floods. Uh, I don't know. I just, I'm unaware of any place people have lived where, where floods simply don't happen. I mean, there were floods in ancient China, floods in ancient India, floods in ancient African Germany. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets floods. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if if a flood wipes out half a town, you're going to write it down. It doesn't take too long for a story to be inflated. It makes perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. I don't have good evidence for all of that, but you've traced back one story to you know, a creation myth that then got put in the Bible. You even have the word cre Sumerian creation myth yeah. is what you're claiming the Bible cited for its... Oh, it's so good. Sorry. Near as we can tell. Yes. Uh, okay. What about... Since I'm, I'm postulating that there were various floods in areas... Do we have any examples of actual floods happening? Uh, so this was harder to find really good information on because like most of the, the sources that I was able to to find, I wanted to try to like get to the original source. And when I would occasionally find the original source, it would be behind a paywall. And it's like, guys, stop it with the paywalls. Uh, but now, when you say paywalls, you mean it would be like an academic journal that yes. talked about? Okay. Yes, academic journals. Uh, so. There, specifically in the area of Mesopotamia, there have been sediment layers that have been found at uh, particular archaeological dig sites that do indicate that a significant amount of water was in that area uh, during a certain period of time. So that does suggest flooding, but then it starts becoming a, a little bit head-scratching when you realize, okay, well, this city-state has the evidence of a significant flood, but a different city-state 23 kilometers away doesn't have that same layer. 
So you're saying there's geological evidence for floods on a citywide scale. Like there could be a flood that you know would have been devastating to Omaha, but would have left Kansas City alone. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, except the smaller scale, only 23 kilometers. Yeah. It just, can you imagine any of our listeners know of a second city in Nebraska? <laughs> Do suburbs count? <laughs> no. <laughs> Bellevue is the only other city in Nebraska on the river. And whenever you say Bellevue, people are like, talking about Red Redmond, Washington? <sighs> Do we have a European example? I can't think of two cities. Dresden is on the Elba. No, I'm done. I'm yeah, done. I don't know. I don't I don't, know. Uh, the Nile. There's got to be, and Cairo's all I've got. Never okay. mind. Good job. <laughs> a for effort, though. Okay, so, yeah, and it's not like there's just one archaeological dig site that has this. And they even said that the the significance of it, there was a clay layer that was, uh, I think, 3.7 meters thick at one point. That's a hell of a flood. It, exactly. It, that's They were like, holy crap. But And that's also the same one that 23 kilometers away, it didn't exist at the other site. So they're like, okay, well, what's going on here? There was a catastrophic amount of water at specifically this location that didn't affect this other nearby location. Well, so just a couple of years ago, when we had that big uh, winter storm and we had that freeze-thaw freeze cycle that tore up our streets really bad mm -hmm. at 240th Street. And for those not familiar with Omaha geography, which should be all of you, don't come here. It's boring. But every, every 12 miles you count on the numbered streets, you get another mile from the river. So 240th Street is just 20 miles from the river. It was completely demolished. Like there were bridges taken out, chunks of ice on the road that weighed a ton, literally a ton, roads that were underwater for a week or more. But then you go up to 150th Street, you know, five miles away or whatever, and no damage. Nothing was wrong with the road. There were like a pothole because some water got into a crack and froze. And that was the damage. And then you go further in and there was, you know, water that might have been knee high in some places, but then right by the river, no damage. So yeah, localized flooding happens. Sorry, I'm not trying to contradict you or anything. I'm just, it isn't astounding to me. If you didn't go and write a story that's, it covered the whole world because your whole world is one tiny town. That's a matter of your crappy perspective, not. Sure. It just bothers me that people take this seriously. Sorry. You were saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Clearly, again, yeah, there's no global flooding, but I mean, it still is. When we say localized, I mean, something that. I get that there's multiple scales for local. Yeah. Yeah. You could mean flooding, uh, like the whole Missouri River Basin versus flooding a town. Uh, those are both local. I mean, they're just, you know, one's half a continent, the other's. That's a little bit of an extreme definition of local, but you are technically correct. I don't know. But uh, yeah, and there are other archaeological sites that also had sediment layers that were different, uh, but they, they existed and they, they do suggest some flooding, but they're not quite all dated at around the same time. So the idea that a singular flood, I mean, there would have to, you'd have to prove that there are uh, some that there are some errors with how they were dated in order to try to argue that they actually do coincide with one another and even then this really only applies to the mesopotamia region so yeah like the notion that because like if there was a global flood there would be a sediment layer like this that would be just all over the world kind of like the kt boundary where the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs hit yeah but that's not really present in the geological record so not global when we're talking about regional flooding over a, a large area something that might affect multiple city states something that would be pervasive across the the culture at large there are a few 
theories that have been put forth to try to explain this, they all suffer from problems. And there, there's a little bit of physical evidence at a minimum for each of these three. There is also some physical evidence against it for each of these three. Some of these are shakier than others, but they are actual scientific hypotheses that have been brought up that haven't been completely ruled out yet. And that's probably one of the more positive things that I can say about them. <laughs> but So you're really even attacking the idea of large-scale regional flooding. I wouldn't say I'm attacking it. One of them in particular I think is interesting. I like it. Uh, that'll be the third one that I cover. The first two, I think, are a little... Mm. Okay, okay. So uh, every time people brought up local flooding, I just, I kind of gave it a pass because I thought people meant on, on the scale of a single city, and I really hadn't considered these medium-sized floods. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You should... Yeah, so one of them that has been brought up is the Black Sea Deluge Hypothesis. This is simply trying to state that the Black Sea has grown in size considerably. Well, okay, if you look at a before and after map, you might not think it's considerable, but for anyone who was living on the edge of the Black Sea before it grew, yeah, it's uh, it's considerable. And it grew because of the melting of glaciers. Uh, sea, level, sea levels were rising as a result of all of the ice that was melting, as well as uh, interior basins just lake water levels were rising, and the Black Sea was no exception. Now, should these prehistoric people simply have pulled back on their carbon emissions, maybe mined fewer gigatons of oil per day? Definitely. <laughs> that that would have helped a lot. No, seriously. The <laughs> Depending on exactly how glaciers go about melting, you can have a basin form inside of a glacier itself, and that just creates a lake that later the... Uh, perimeter wall, for lack of a, a better term, of the glacier, uh, that melts and that would could create what is called an outbreak flood, where you are just dumping huge amounts of water into another lower basin. So just to reiterate and ask, just to make sure I'm clear on this, this Black Sea Deluge hypothesis is putting forward the idea there was a large glacier and the some amount of the inside of the glacier melted first, whether that be the inside like a candy bar or the inside like a bowl melted, then the wall of the bowl or the perimeter of the candy bar broke, dumping just a total fuckload of water onto the Black Sea. Yeah. So that would result in a flood that like took place over just a couple days and permanently changed its borders. Uh, well, maybe not a couple of days, probably closer to like weeks and months, given the volume of water. Uh, but they they suppose it actually came from multiple sources, and this being one of them. What are some of the other possible sources? Uh, having sea level rise in the Mediterranean Sea and having that spill over other geological features. Oh, okay. So the Mediterranean could have risen and then receded and just, okay. Yeah, uh, I, I get it. It's complex, but there's multiple sources for water. Okay. Yeah, but in either of these cases, the Black Sea, it, it grew. And any settlements that were on the edge of that body of water before it started to grow would be flooded and permanently wiped out. Yeah, you're looking at me like I should have some questions for these people <laughs> being wiped the fuck out. No, a flood wiping them out makes perfect fucking sense. Yeah. Yeah, a giant glacier broke and the glacier's larger than what I think the world is and a wall of water hit my town. Uh, I'm wiped out now. That, that, that makes sense. <laughs> That is the hypothesis. 
the problem with some of these hypotheses, the people have done uh, other... Like, okay, I'm a little bit hazy on the details here, regrettably, uh, but people have done additional analysis on what they expected the water levels to be, and the water levels do not appear to be nearly as extreme of a, of a difference from basin to basin as the initial hypothesis uh, put forth. So it looks like it was a little bit less of a deluge and more of a kind of a slow seeping in. So it wasn't something that would be necessarily a, a catastrophic flood for people as it is just kind of like, oh, hey, let's uh, move back a little bit this year. So less of a Black Sea deluge and more of a Black Sea moistening. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, additional analysis made by other researchers seems to come to that conclusion more consistently. And that's one of the big problems with the, the Black Sea right. deluge So hypothesis. on the topic of the Black Sea yep. and the idea that Noah's flood story came from various people around the Black Sea responding to a natural event. It's kind of shot down looking at it, unless one very small group of scientists is right. Yeah, and there's also the part of the story where the water ends up receding. The Black Sea didn't recede. Yeah, yeah, okay. I suppose, though, if you're on a boat and you float towards the edge, you might think it's receding. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, Another one, the Younger Dryass Impact Hypothesis. This is a hypothesis that tries to explain the Younger Dryas boundary layer that occurs in a number of locations. Basic idea is they believe that a meteor or a comet broke apart and then scattered to multiple locations around the globe. So to make sure I'm getting what you're saying, Mm -hmm. there's a name for a geological layer for people not familiar, just as water drops rocks onto the bottom of of, of seabeds and riverbeds and things, we get sediments building up, or even on dry land, if you get layers of vegetation dying, it forms layers of soil, which get compacted into rocks or whatever. You're saying that an asteroid or rock or something from space broke into pieces and laid down a layer in multiple places. That is the hypothesis, yes. Okay, and the name of that is the Younger Dryass Layer. Yes. Okay, I'm with you. Okay, so it depositing uh, peak concentrations of platinum, high temperature spherules, melt glass, nano diamonds. That's a lot of fancy stuff. A lot of stuff you don't want to breathe. <laughs> yep. It triggered extensive biomass burning, a brief impact winter, and some abrupt climate change. So this is the how this ties into the flood myth is that presumably one of these fragments hit some body of water creating a, a flood of some kind. But this theory, no, not theory, this hypothesis actually suffers a number of problems. It is definitely the weakest hypothesis of everything that all three that I'm going to be mentioning here. And just so some of the, the sites they tried to, when they proposed the hypothesis, say that, okay, we went to this site and we found these particular materials and it's similar to these other locations. So we're going to try to make a cohesive hypothesis to explain all these things. The probably, in my opinion, the biggest problem with this hypothesis is that when researchers went to these locations, they weren't able to reproduce the materials at these locations. So the layers were different in different places. Maybe there isn't a single younger dry ass layer. Well, the same place, different research. Researchers found different things. 
Oh. Yeah. That, that speaks of bad measurements or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's definitely a, a significant problem with the hypothesis, but... <laughs> Not having evidence is a significant problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I mean, <laughs> allegedly people had the evidence. It's just the evidence isn't reproducible. So it's like, okay, well, hold on. What's going on here? And yeah, so... There, there's other things. Uh, I, we have a, a wiki link for this, and the wiki has sections for like five different ways that the evidence for this hypothesis has been disputed. It's definitely a really weak hypothesis, but it's one of them that technically still has some small amount of scientific legitimacy. Has not completely been struck down. The third one, and this is the one that I like the most. I can't say that it's it's strong yet. Uh, more analysis needs to be taken, and it is difficult to analyze because of its location. But in the Indian Ocean, there is something called the Burkle Crater, and it is estimated to be about 5,000 years old, and it has a lot of the characteristics, including geological formations and crystals that are known to be associated with meteor impact sites. Uh, and at a depth of 12,000 feet in the Indian Ocean? The fuck? Like... Two and a half miles down? Yeah. Can we get that in science units instead of freedom units? Uh, 3,800 meters. Well, that makes it clear to all the non-Americans out there. And now I don't know how deep that is. I forgot. (laughs) 12,500 feet. Uh, Can I get that in a useful unit like football stadiums? No. (laughs) Say useful unit and then immediately say something that isn't useful? Come on. Piranhas per cow per minute. Moving on. So more analysis does need to be conducted on this crater. But if we were to presume that it is, in fact, an impact site, then something at that depth that with that much energy to create those kinds of geological formations is definitely something that could easily create tsunamis through the entire Indian Ocean coastline. That'll give you a flood myth right there. Very much so. That will flood the whole Mesopotamia region and the water would eventually recede. So you're saying it hit in the Indian Ocean, which would mean it would have to go up the Red Sea or Persian Gulf to get to Mesopotamia. It would have to go around either side of, you know, the Arabian Peninsula. Huh. I guess it would, physics would permit that. Yeah. We're also talking about totally trashing whatever prehistoric societies are living in Bangladesh and India. And India has its own flood myth. It does. Mm-hmm. Lots of places have flood myths. Uh, okay. So this so this regional story lines up now. What are some of the problems with this story? Uh, this hypothesis? Well, it's just, it's very, very new. Oh, so we haven't had time to gather lots of evidence yet. Yeah. So one of the things that was used to indicate that the there was definitely tsunamis that originated from this crater was the appearance of a chevron which is a geological formation in the sand looks kind of like a thing a wedge or a v okay and those are associated with uh, tsunamis from impacts and the initial researcher uh, dallas abbott claims to have found a bunch of chevrons in the indian ocean coastline that indicate that more or less all point to that crater. But another researcher came along and was like, okay, hold on. You're making a presumption here. Chevrons don't actually say what you are claiming they say. So some of this evidence, it just it, it needs more analysis. Okay, so there's some people saying some things a little bit irresponsibly, but there's no direct contradictions or refutation of the, the core idea because we definitely have a large piece of physical evidence. The crater and the math all fits for this flooding the world at some point yeah okay one thing that does refute the asteroid the burkle crater asteroid yeah it was is again like the, the the sediment layers that are inconsistent in the mesopotamia region oh yeah and elsewhere like 
Yeah, there would need to be some explanation for that, and currently there is none. Okay. So maybe it flooded around the Indian Ocean, but didn't go that deep inland. Maybe. Okay. It is a possibility. Okay. So regional floods are plausible, because we could also discover a a new crater somewhere. We could discover a new crater in the Black Sea. That would explain this whole Mesopotamia regional flood that we read about in the Bible, if that's how we want to try to interpret that. But worldwide floods still... Oh, it's definitely not a worldwide flood. Yeah. Okay. So you looked for floods. Let's... Uh, is, is that everything you wanted to say about the idea of a regional flood? Uh, for realistic flood scenarios that physics actually permits. Yeah, that was pretty much what I wanted to cover. Oh, um, a lot of the publications for the, the Burkle crater are dated 2008, 2009, or 2017. So that's pretty fresh. Very fresh. Considering a 5,000-year-old crater and we have sources that are 12 years old at the oldest. Yeah, that's fresh. We should go over your sources real quick. This is going to be grossly out of order. Okay, so your sources on Burkle Crater. You've got a few sources for Wikipedia providing overview for flood myth and mythologies for the Black Sea Deluge. You've got Science Direct. It specifically talks about the merits and flaws of the Black Sea Deluge hypothesis. Okay, and it's a scientific paper? Okay. Yes. Uh, you've got some more Wikipedia des- describing Burkle Crater and the Younger dry-, dry Ass Impact Hypothesis, and both of those cite tons of sources. Yep. Okay, you've also got Discover Magazine. That or... talks more about the Burkle Crater. Yeah, and specifically the article, Did a Comet Cause the Great Flood? Yep. Okay. Uh, what are these last two? They are... Uh, scientific papers made by people talking about the possibility, or the, specifically the chevrons. Like the first okay. one is the original researcher trying to claim that the chevrons demonstrate that it is a tsunami from an asteroid impact. The second one is another researcher saying, no, it's not. Okay. So all good sources. Fantastic. And that will let us see the the controversy that actually exists in science. Okay. All right. How about how, how about we just go over how the idea of a worldwide flood just doesn't match reality? <laughs> There are many ways it does not match reality. So in my experience, when people bring up the Noah's Ark story or other biblical type floods, it's almost always some person who's actively trying to defend a religious belief and usually specifically in opposition to evolution, sometimes specifically in opposition to macroevolution because they try to use evolution, microevolution to defend the Ark story. It's great. The mental gymnastics are amazing. Ugh. And unfortunately, so many of these defenses that the apologists use boil down to an argument of God did it. And I don't know that these people are intentionally trying to shut down the argument. But when you bring up an unfalsifiable belief and say that you're unwilling to change your mind unless you get evidence, but there's no possible evidence that could change your mind, they're kind of just shutting down the argument. It's Yeah, there's no yeah. conversation at that point. Yeah, so... I'm sure this will become more clear when we get on to the first one, but it's still useful to try to plant the seed of doubt if you're in a position where one of these people will believe you or, you, or if you have some emotional connection with somebody, you know, plant these seeds of doubt and then move on. There's no set of facts that you can give to a biblical literalist that will actually change their mind because in their mind, God is perfect and right. And any set of facts you provide is going to be a test from Satan or something. So yeah. you got to give them the facts and then see how those facts are never again contradicted their whole freaking life, or at least for a few years. Then maybe their mind will slowly change. Okay, so just going through this, for building the Ark, uh, it's simply too big to be made out of wood. One of the few things in this story that lots of Christians agree on is the size of the Ark. In the Bible, it's measured in cubits, and there's actually some pretty specific numbers given. But what is a cubit? How is it actually identified? And different amounts get us different numbers. But a huge amount of people agree on 450 feet or about 140 meters long, which is 
actually really tiny for a wooden ship. I'm sorry, it's really huge for a wooden ship. It's tiny for a modern ship. Yeah. Plenty of modern ships just dwarf that. But when you look at the next largest wooden ships, right, I'll include a link on Wikipedia. The largest wooden ship we're aware of is the USS Wyoming. It was taken out of service in 1924 because the ship was simply so large that the stiffness of wood couldn't hold itself together. And for an explanation of that, I have uh, an Ask Science discussion from Reddit where people are asking, why can't you build a boat bigger than this? Just add more wood. (laughs) Well, it comes to a point where once you get to 140 meters long, it doesn't matter how much more wood you add, the weight of the wood counteracts any amount of structure the wood could provide. It's just as big as it can possibly be, you just need a stronger material. Yeah. So if you make it a foot longer... Well, if you add a foot worth of height worth of that wood, you're still breaking it. So the USS Wyoming, they used really good engineering to try to pass this limit. But even then, the hull couldn't maintain its shape. And they had bilge pumps that just emptied the boat of water constantly. So the entire time the ship was at water, they were burning coal to power steam-powered turbines to get it out of there. And then the thing still sunk. So, yeah, not great. And even a couple of boats that were smaller than that, they all were just not structurally sound until you get much smaller. So you probably couldn't handle, say, seven elephants on such a ship. Probably not. Uh, you, you know, you might be able to handle se- seven elephants on such a ship, but I gotta wonder if Noah's family is equipped to first build the largest wooden ship ever and then handle seven elephants. And then, and then, and then. Yeah, at the the scale of you know productivity in the ancient times, this would be a mega structure for them. Yes, yes, it would have been a mega structure. the The common apologist rebuttal that I hear to this is, "Oh, God gave them a design," or "Oh, God gave them special wood." Does well, this wood happen to assemble itself? The common argument I've heard for that is they lived way longer back then. Didn't you see how these people lived like eight or nine hundred years? And if you just ignore some of the time constraints in the story, you can get one one guy in theory could build a boat this big. It would just take him, you know, decades and decades. Ugh, it's ridiculous. It doesn't line up with anything we understand about how the world works. And that argument of insert magic here, insert God did it, it just shuts the discussion down. Yeah. Who who actually knows about the material properties of wood on the spot when they're talking about the Noah's Ark story? Right? When this gets brought up in reality, you're like around the water cooler at work and you know somebody offhandedly mentions the Ark story and most people are like, yeah, it's ridiculous. And then one guy's like, well, actually, it's true. God gave him the plans for the boat and everyone's like, that's fucking stupid, but I don't happen to know the material properties of wood right now. <laughs> you know, we're all, whatever your job is, not wood engineers. Or even if you are, if you are a carpenter, right? Are there any carpenters that make cabinets 450 feet long that's not exactly common no not that i'm aware of anyway yeah so it it just shuts the discussion down it's not a good faith argument the obvious rebuttal that even a small child comes up with was how did noah get all the animals yep yeah he just he couldn't have and the common rebuttal from creationists or people who believe in the flood is that well he didn't get every species he got every kind and then kind has this nebulous description that fluctuates so, you know, maybe Noah didn't need to get one of every cat. He just got, you know, two cats. And then after the flood, cats evolved into the modern variety. Huh. Yeah, even with that definition, even if you were to just acknowledge that dogs, cats, elephants, giraffes, ostriches, and blue jays, even go on and on and on and on like that, you're still going to have too much. That's exactly where it goes. So I pulled up some counts on the amount of species. 
According to Cal Academy, a calacademy.org, it's the California Academy of something or other. They have science lessons. But according to them, the uh, there are millions of species and tens of thousands of genuses. A genus is a group of species. Yeah. So like all canids are, you know, dogs, canines, right? Mm-hmm. So coyotes, wolves, dogs, right? at that level where you're talking about all cats, all bovines, all... I can't remember too many genuses, but every beetle, every every crab, you're going to get one of each of these things. Yeah, you're still left with 90,000 fucking categories. And that's ignoring how bad the evolution argument is, right? The oldest date you had for one of these regional floods was, what, 7,600 years or 13,000 years? Yeah, 13,800. Yeah, okay, for one of the floods that was way back. But even then, most of these writings that talk about a worldwide flood were from 3,700 years ago or newer, right? Yeah. Well, even- okay, so the uh, the Younger Dryas was... 13,800, the Black Sea Deluge was 7,600, and the Burkle Crater was 5,000. Okay, and then the writings, like the uh, the Sumerian creation myth, was 3,800 years, right? And the Sumerian creation myth was roughly uh, 16 to 1,800 BC. Okay, so looking at all these things, even if we go with the longest one, 13,000 years, you're not evol- you're not re-evolving all biodiversity in dogs in 13,000 years. No. That's not how biology works. But the argument there is, well, God did it. God took the different kinds and evolved them. Well, if you're just going to say God did it, you can just say God created the water and God created all the species. Why do we have Noah here complicating things? <laughs> yeah, why make the middleman? Just cut him out. <sighs> okay. Uh, I believe you added, uh, what about all the flora? We've discussed the fauna. You need entire ecosystems in order to support large animal populations. And presumably those got wiped out in the flood. So no shit, having had this argument with people, the argument creationists use is vegetation mats. The fuck does that mean? Grasses floated and they survived. And then they'll even go on to say that some of these vegetation mats were huge. Um, do they not understand roots? Uh, uh, they're creationists. They, they, their biology is not their strong point. But the some of them have to have gardens. They have to understand roots. Maybe they're all into hydroponics. Uh, seriously, at one job I had, there was one software developer who was actually really smart. And actually, when we played Magic, like the the card game, right? He beat me most of the time. So at Magic, he was smarter than me, right? But he couldn't grok this very basic science thing where it's like the flood couldn't have happened. Dude was seriously a young Earth creationist, despite being an intelligent and capable software developer. This evidence is real. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, uh, I've got a bullshit source to the Ark Encounter, of all places, where they actually use this argument. This shows the the dishonesty here, because that actually might work for some grasses, right? You could, in theory, float some grass on water for 40 days and 40 nights and a year to evaporate all the water or whatever, and the grass might resettle down, and then its roots might dig in just enough to get going. And in theory, you could have some vegetation survive that, right? But not a giant redwood, right? Yeah, no. That's not going to happen. Or just trees in the rainforest, or just... Is this water salt water or fresh water? Because if it's fresh water, all the seaweed's going to die. If it's salt water, all the terrestrial plants, all the plants on land are going to die. It's Schrodinger's water. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really is what the creationists are counting on. The Their dishonest argument is, I'll find a way for one to work, and now you have to accept it all. And trying to point that out, how dishonest that is, is a more nuanced discussion than just you're categorically wrong. So people pushing creation myths go that way. And as long as they can get one, they can then say, ah, God did it. God made a suitable vegetation mat for a redwood. What the fuck does that even mean? Don't give me that shit. I've had people say that shit to my face. Ah. 
And just to hammer this home, how ridiculous this is, right? The Of all the events and dates we talked about, the the oldest one was hypothesized to be 13,000 years ago, right? 13,800. Okay. For people not familiar, one of the largest single organisms on the planet is named Pando. It's a large clonal tree thing out in Utah. It's uh, 43 acres across, and it is more than 14,000 years old. So it is old as fuck, right? It predates literally every single one of these flood myths, and we could just go cut it open and look at the rings and see that it's way fucking older than Christianity. It existed way before any of these floods. It existed way before Sumeria. I mean, like the Sumerian people and culture, yes. right? I'm sure it's not older than dirt. I mean, it's a tree. It's <laughs> growing in dirt. So where was this thing during the worldwide flood? Just the fact that this thing exists refutes the flood by itself. Yep. Ugh. Okay. You sort of touched on this earlier. How would we fit things in the boat? Yeah, there's just, there's too much that is required. And then just, I think I also mentioned displacement somewhere. I missed, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things associated with just the the size and the volume that is required for everything. The two arguments that Christians put forward, and I've had to deal with both in person. Again, for our listeners who don't believe me, just remember I live in Nebraska. Trust that there are people this willfully ignorant all around me where I live. The two arguments are the boat was really lightly loaded, so you could have they could have built a reasonable boat. They could have built a boat that was 300 feet long, which is enormous, but plausible. Physics permits that. And they lightly loaded it, and then the animals came off and micro-evolved into their current forms, which we point out was ridiculous for other reasons. Yep. Or the boat was an engineering marvel designed by God and implemented by Noah, and per that one, some rough math that creationists did puts the boat's weight at approximately 47 million pounds. It's quite a bit. That's loaded with food and provisions. For perspective, our largest modern cargo ships are about 220,000 tons. Wait, did I get the numbers wrong? 220,000 tons would be... Oh, fuck. Yeah, do some math. Yeah. Okay, so that puts it on the scale. So if our, some of our largest container ships are 220,000 tons loaded, I mean, boats like the Ever Given, so big it clogs the Suez Canal, right? Yep. Made of steel, made by a company that knows how to make these, powered with big diesel engines with a cargo of you know dozens of nations on it. This thing would be 10% the size of that boat, but made of wood and a fraction its length. So we're talking about something that is bigger than a wooden boat can be, and holding more than any other wooden boat has ever held. And we can go back and compare this to the USS Wyoming. It, at those numbers, it absolutely dwarfs it. So that number is ridiculous. You have to shut down conversation right there if you're going to go past here, because it just it can't be. So you're saying God did it. God made this boat buoyant at this weight, despite you know, it just not being big enough. And then you have to somehow accept that Noah's family and the small amount of people helping them were enough to maintain and move just moving 47 million pounds. Think about what that would take for a small team of people, right? It's, I mean, if, even if we somehow balloon Noah's family up to 47 people, that's a million pounds per person. That's ridiculous. And somehow you're doing it all while the animals are alive, and somehow you're doing it all without any of the food for the animals expiring or going bad. Without any of the animals attacking the humans or the other animals. And the explanation for that is often God pacified the animals so they would be perfectly obedient to Noah. It's just You just need to keep inserting God did it, and you can solve all these problems. It just isn't an honest argument or an yeah. honest discussion. Then it just keeps coming back to, well, if God is just going to keep inserting themselves into this, then why have a middleman? Yeah, why do we need Noah? <sighs> I have my source for the number um, numbers on modern cargo ship is boatinggeeks.com. 
for the size calculated by Christians. I have Christianity.StackExchange.com. Actual thing, actual Christians asking questions. Mm -hmm. For how the Ark could be lightly loaded, I have the Ark Encounter as another source again. So bullshit sources there. And just, yeah, they either default to small load plus heavy evolution where God guides the evolution, or big load, God guides the animal, God guides Noah. It, it always comes down to God did it. All right. One of the other common things that uh, our rebuttals, people thinking about this, bring up. What about parasites and disease diseases? Did Noah bring two tapeworms with him? I would hope not. Tapeworms are weird. Uh, Yeah, tapeworms are weird. But like every uh, parasite, right? Did he bring two Ebola viruses with him? <laughs> did he bring two SARS-CoV-2 viruses with him? You know, honestly, the viruses wouldn't be that hard. Because if God made them all play nice, he could stick them all in the same jar and just stick them in the corner of the boat. It's true. But more seriously, there's a bunch of parasites that are lethal to their hosts. So did he bring two of all of those? Did he bring enough hosts? Yeah, it, it doesn't fit. So the, the two arguments for this, and I've asked this to creationists who've given me both answers. Let me guess. A lot of these parasites are things created by Satan after the fact. Ah, close. They're created by God as punishments after the fact. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. that would be a better explanation. If you're going to have a villain, have your villain invent tapeworms. <laughs> It does make more sense. So, yeah, so you got one. And then the other answer is simply, yes, Noah brought two tapeworms. God gave him the knowledge on how to safely care for tapeworms without infecting a host. Yeah. So Noah invented jars before we had glass or something. He put tapeworms in a wooden box. I don't fucking know. God gave him the knowledge to bring tapeworms. A transparent wooden jar. What? If God's just giving you random magical things, why not transparent wood? One argument that normally befuddles these people, because they're already denying evolution, but if you go straight to the evidence for evolution, it really gets in the way of their story. Um, I find it's very effective to bring up the molecular clock, and the easiest way to get there is through genetic bottlenecking. The molecular clock is our ability to look at samples of animals, samples of their DNA, and we can, with a fair amount of accuracy, look at generations of animals and see the rate at which mutations occur. And this happens because we all have two lines of DNA, we all have our normal nuclear DNA that's in, in, in the middle of our cells, and we all have mitochondrial DNA that we get from our mothers, so these things can be cross-checked and cross-referenced against each other, and they both reproduce at known rates. And I'll link to the Wikipedia page. I've already linked to the Molecular Clock Wikipedia page before. We've explained this two or three times in previous episodes, but it's really solid science. It's really good stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you get a bunch of samples of animals, you can just see how fast that species, that line of DNA is evolving. And none of it coincides with the idea of a bottleneck for every species altogether at once. It just doesn't, right? Some species weren't ever bottlenecked, right? You just pull up rats, no bottleneck. Pull up cats. Most, I mean, house cats. No bottleneck. Yep. But then you pull up cheetahs. They had a genetic bottleneck about 10,000 years ago. So for all but one of these flood stories, sources, uh, that just doesn't fit. So many of the flood stories put the flood at four or five or 6,000 years ago, but the cheetahs have been growing in population since, and we know it because we can track back the rate of mutation and how it changed, and we know about how many cheetahs there are in the, in the wild because of this. So unless Noah somehow had specially gene-modifying large cats, but not the largest cats, right? Just none of this fits. Unless we want to go back to he brought cats on the boat and then God evolved them and gave them the illusion of age and DNA changing, in which case God did it. You're shutting down the conversation again. It's just... Yeah. And I've gone there. Creationists will say or do whatever. Once it gets to God did it, they know they have license to say whatever. <sighs> Blah. And then basic physics. Water. Right. There isn't enough water for there to be a worldwide flood. Yeah, where did all that water come from? So 
actually having asked creationists, the most common answer I get is the firmament, right? So depending on how you read it, the firmament can either be, no kidding, one of the creationists I was arguing said, the firmament was the crystal shell that all the stars were attached to that surrounded the earth. It was actually water ice. God melted it. Then I'm like, well, where did the water go after the flood? It's like, well, God put it under the ground. I'm like, but there's not enough room. (laughs) Yeah, that's the other part of like, okay, well, first you have to resolve where did the water come from? But then like, we don't, we're not on a water world right now. So where did the water go? And there's no good answers for either of these things. The water went with Cotton Eye Joe. Hey, uh... You set me up for that really well, thank you. You're welcome. The arguments here do just boil down to God did it. Some of them try to say that the water came up out of the ground, but then, well, rock doesn't float. People say, well, there was a lot of water underground. Well, yeah, between grains of dirt. Yeah. That's why we have a water table, if you understand anything about digging a well, or just that water sinks when you dump it on the ground. Right? There's there's some level where there is water under there. It doesn't just come spilling out. It's not like a, a tank full of water that squirts it everywhere. It's just... Uh, so this one Christian that I keep referring to, that I, the software developer guy that I worked alongside, he literally said that God just got rid of the water. And then I asked him about modern day stars. He's like, no, no, God, God made the stars after he got rid of the firmament. He just, every time there was a gap in his knowledge, he just, in his personal knowledge, he just inserted God. So he didn't critically think about the world around him. He didn't take into account anything. He didn't care what scientists said. If it contradicted his tiny God-based worldview, then God did it. Yeah. Yep. So uh, there are tons of scientific papers on there not being enough water to flood the whole world. There's scientists who've calculated how much water there is. There's scientists who've discussed the idea of all of the glaciers melting. There's scientists who've discussed the idea of a worldwide flood because an asteroid hit and melted and rained everything onto the Earth. There's scientists who've put forward ideas for all of this and then said, well, what if the ice then froze into polar caps? There's just no way that actually relies on physics that we have enough water for a worldwide flood. It just can't have happened because of the amount of water. So either God did it or physics works. The the only, there's there's no physical way this could have happened. (sighs) Yep. I've got a Talk Origins page to link there, and links to dozens of scientific papers and Christian writings on this. Any other sources that we have? Oh yeah, I link to, uh, for the cheetah uh, genetic bottlenecking, I link to uh, pubmed.ncbi. The URL's ridiculous. It's a government from... Yeah, that's clearly a a, a scientific paper website. It is a repository by a government in Africa uh, for academic papers yeah and i pulled that one up because i read it a really long time ago when i first learned about cheetah genetic bottlenecking and just like this belongs here this contradicts these people and i've known about it for years i don't know i guess to summarize all this there's a million holes in this story and christians always plug those holes with god did it or other things that could be trivially refuted which just makes them circle back to god did it the history for it the natural history doesn't really line up. Even if we try to grant a regional flood, no strong evidence for a regional flood, zero evidence for a worldwide flood. Yep. And then if we go back and look at the literary history, the Christians clearly riffed off of other cultures. <laughs> so even if there was some sort of flood event, it wasn't the Christian God doing the flood event. It was the Sumerian God or something. Yep. And then backing it up even further, we got here because we kept running into people like this in real life who literally believe this today. Regrettably. Do we have any sort of jokes or anything funny with this other than just the ridiculousness of this idea jokes no just the observation that public education has failed them to be fair a lot of these people are in alabama
I'm sorry. I just keep picking on the southern states. Well, they deserve it. How about something less silly? One of our uh, raffle winners emailed me, Mm -hmm. and their flash drive is stuck in customs. Oh. There's a fee for them to pull it out. Great. I'm willing to pay the fee if we can get some more Patreon supporters. (laughs) But the flash drives already cost us a buttload of money because they're really nice flash drives. So help out our raffle winner. Become our Patreon supporter, and I'll I'll Venmo them some money or something to... uh, Too too shamelessly self-serving? A little bit. Is it nearly as self-serving as uh, stealing Sumerian creation myths and keeping them for yourself? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm telling people what I'll use the money for first. Well, that helps a bit, sure. I don't know what to say here. Okay. So yeah, if someone wants to sign up and support us on Patreon for 13 pounds, we will take... Was it pounds? 13 euros? It was Spain. Our winner from Spain had it stuck uh, in customs. It was 13 local units of money. That's 13 euros, right? Probably euros, yeah. Pesos? Not pesos. That's that's Mexico. Pounds is Great Britain. Rubles? Rubles, I think, is Brazil, isn't it? Rupees. That's Legend of Zelda. The other one outsmarted me and locked itself in my bedroom. Thumping noises. Uh, I'm going to have to... Thanks to Kaldar for video and graphics work, and thanks to AlphaWolf294 for transcription. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Our supporters at the evidence investigator level or higher include Jared, Ducktape, Keldar, and Lazuri78. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. Copyright 2021 Blacktop Studios, Inc. Intro music was slow by Pitex, used with permission. Rubles is Russia. Oh. Okay, sure. What do they use for money in Brazil? I don't know. Oh, right. It's reals. That's what I'm thinking. That's, isn't that Venezuela? It might be both. We are way off in the weeds. Yeah. Real or real. I don't know how exactly it's pronounced. There's but... a whole Freakonomics episode about how the real came into being. Okay. But it's called the real because it's real money based in real value. And the previous currency was hyperinflating. So they said that every day we're going to adjust the price of this so that way it can buy the same market basket worth of goods at about 2% inflation per year. So they gradually shifted people to trusting this new money that had no backing. And they just kind of rotated out the hyperinflating currency and brought in the new one. It was kind of cool. Uh, Venezuela currency is the Bolivar. Named after General Bolivar, who fought the Spanish, I believe? Fought a revolution to free the, kind of the whole continent. Okay. Yeah, I thought they cycled out the Bolivar and brought in the Reals, but I guess that was, I guess my memory there is just wrong, because I thought it was Venezuela doing both of these things. All right. Memory's fickle. Yep. I'm going to edit that down to something. Okay. We'll probably get some interstitials out of it. Sure. But thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Warning. God damn it. Project, bro. Yeah, it was just something in my throat being thing. Yeah. Fewer blowjobs. Yeah. Well, phew. don't keep shing, man. I'm, it just, it's a practical matter. It's sticky. It lines the throat. Hey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Am I somehow supposed to correct that? I Just in the hour before recording, fewer blowjobs, right? Instead of like three, like how about one? Don't tell me how to live my life. Fine. Come to recording ready then, huh? And get that white shit off the microphone. Gross. No, it's a ready snack. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I wasn't ready at all for that shit. Ugh.